0: We're in a series titled Jesus Use Me. And uh, normally we would do a segue video right here, but I want to use it a little later in the service. Is that all right with you? Thank you. Seeing no objection. <laughs> we'll keep moving along. Hi. Last week we talked about a guy named um, Ed Stilly, homesteader in the Ozark Mountains hills, foothills, somewhere in there, and how God used him to do way beyond his ability and uh, if God can use Ed Stilley to build guitars that say "True Faith, True Light," have faith in God, and give to children all over the Ozarks and preach the gospel and sing, uh, point to your neighbor right now and say, "Then He can use you. He can use you too." So, we want to get that that mindset in all of us. The body lacks when you're not bringing your gift. In other words, have you ever watched? Sometimes I don't mean to pick on anyone. But have you ever watched at a potluck? There are a couple of things that happen. One is um, food poisoning. Uh, <laughs> oh, I could tell you stories. Um, but the but the person who comes in alone and everybody has brought all this food, and they they brought a tube of Pringles. You know, yeah, we lack because they didn't bring. Or the large family that brings. Um, a bowl of macaroni and cheese. It's like the potluck where we need everybody to bring what they can so that we can all overindulge at a potluck. But in the life of the church, we need your gifting. It's your gifting that we need. So this morning, I want to talk to you about another man in Scripture. His name is David. How many have heard of King David? One of the great men of the Old Testament. And we'll talk, too, about his mistakes, but he was one of the great men in the Old Testament. When God was looking for a king to follow Solomon, God put his hand on David's life. And in Acts chapter 13, as Paul is talking about the resurrection and about Jesus not dying in the grave, not suffering the decomposition or corruption in the ground, he cites David and makes a comment that is so profound, but he simply makes it kind of in passing. In Luke thirteen, I'm sorry, Acts thirteen thirty six, for David, after he had served his own generation by the will of God, fell asleep and was buried with his fathers and saw corruption, but he whom God raised up saw no corruption, and he goes on to preach, and he's saying, David, as great and powerful as he was, wasn't your savior because David also, uh, dust to dust happened when he died, but that phrase has captured my imagination for years. I want it to be said about me that I served my generation by the will of God. All right, three of us. It's gonna be a lot of extra work for the three of us. How many of you want to serve your generation by the will of God? That's what we're called to do, to serve our generation. We need to reach this generation. And so I'm gonna take that phrase apart um, piece by piece and, and think about it, ponder it a little bit this morning together. And it starts with this simple understanding. If you're gonna serve your generation by the will of God, do you know where you have to start? You have to start with learning how to serve. Yeah. You can't serve your generation by the will of God if you don't have any understanding what service is about. David served. And he started off serving with his family. When David was old enough, he was assigned to watch the sheep, and in David's day, shepherds were often part of the family business, and then it expanded to shepherds who were hired, and they'd be looked at at a lower class, but David was the youngest, and his job was to assign the sheep. When I was growing up, we were cutting edge in the Pilcher household. I don't know if everybody knows this, but we had a dishwasher. And here's how it worked. My mother would wash dishes and I would stand on a chair and dry dishes. And then as I got big enough, then I had to stand by the sink and wash dishes and my next sister would stand on a chair and dry the dishes. And then when she got big enough, it kind of moved down and I graduated out of having to do the dishes. But dishwashers were called five little children that live in the house. I know it's a weird concept, but we were expected to do chores, and that was without getting an allowance. For the privilege of living in the house. Does anybody grow up my generation? The privilege of living in the house. You're going to do some chores around here. Now, I'm glad when I got an allowance, my first allowance was a dime a week, and boy, could you do a lot with a dime. But I was excited. I thought I was a millionaire when it went up to a quarter. David learned how to serve his family. And David did it well. Later on in 1 Samuel 17, when Saul is questioning David about his ability to face Goliath as a small, uh, in, I mean, as, as the youngest in the family, David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. Now I would have laughed right there. You're gonna fight a giant and your resume, what's it say, number one? I've watched the sheep. Yeah, not the same at all, I've watched the sheep. But then he said, when a lion or bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it, seized the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by, the King James I like better, I seized it by its beard, struck it, and killed it. That's amazing. If I saw a lion or a bear coming, I am not thinking about grabbing it by the beard. (laughs) Pastor Justin and I were out at camp Um, Some years ago and out at camp there's an eagle's nest and when you go down behind through the timber you can get out on that eagle uh, out on this ridge and you can actually see the tree is further out down in the valley but it's height you can see into that nest and there were some eaglets in that nest it was the coolest thing he and I are standing there moving closer so we could see in the nest and this eagle starts to circle and then it locks on to the target, and it comes flying at us from the distance, and I said, run, and he drove running down the hill. I mean, branches, twigs, leaves are flying. I sat down behind a tree. (laughs) He said, why didn't you run? I said, because you were. (laughs) You became the target. You saved my life, thank you very much. I mean, I'm not thinking about taking that eagle on. So imagine David is watching the sheep. That's their resource. That's their income. That's their livelihood. And this lion of some sort comes out and he grabs it and pulls it out of its mouth and then grabs it by the beard and looks it in the face and kills it. I don't know of a sheep that I would be willing to give my life for but David understood that he was assigned a job. His job was to protect the family resources and to protect the flock. And David was on duty and could say with pride in a good way, the lion didn't take the sheep that I watched. The bear didn't take the sheep that I watched. I was on duty and I was doing my job. And I'm going to suggest to you this morning that if you want to serve your generation by the will of God, you can start by learning how to serve your family. Service starts at home come on, someone help me this morning. I said, service starts at home. <laughs> we also had a remote when I was growing up. And it was kind of tough because we had to decide between three channels. My job was also a media technician. I had to put the aluminum foil on the rabbit ears. You hear what I'm saying? I'm telling you. There are times where you just have to learn how to, I know, yes, I am 275 years old, in case you're wondering. (laughs) He served his family and he did it with distinction. Then a time comes when God is looking to replace Saul. Because of Saul's rebellion against God, God lifted his anointing. Now watch, he lifted his anointing off Saul while Saul was still in office. And God said, I'm gonna find someone else. He says to Samuel, I want you to go to the house of Eli, I mean the house of Jesse, and you'll find the next king. So here's what the Bible says. Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel, but Samuel said, the Lord has not chosen these. So he asked Jesse, are these all the sons you have? And Jesse said, they're still the youngest, where is he? Where is David? When they're looking for a king, when they're lined up to show their stuff, where is David? David is tending the sheep. He wasn't looking for promotion, he was looking to be faithful to the job that he was given and he was found doing what he had been assigned watching the sheep. Samuel said, send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. So he sent and had him brought in. He was ruddy, with fine appearance and handsome features. And the Lord said, rise and anoint him, he's the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil, anointed him in the presence of his brothers, and from that day the Spirit of the Lord came on David in power. Samuel goes on to Ramah. So David is where? tending the sheep. Now, I'm telling you, I have four sisters. We're all, there's a year between us. And if I had just been anointed king, no more dishes for this guy. <laughs> Hello? I mean, you were all there, brothers. You saw what just happened. You know what this oil means? It means I am kind of somebody And you might think, and I would think, he had every reason to exalt himself and say, you need to respect the call of God on my life. But in between these times, God has lifted his anointing. Saul is being tempted by an evil spirit, being taunted by a demon. And they've noticed that when worship music is played, the devil has to flee. (laughs) Hallelujah. So Saul's attendants said to Saul, or said, um, yes, to Saul, see an evil spirit from God is tormenting you. Let our Lord command his servant here to search for someone who can play the harp. He will play an the evil spirit from, uh, that comes on you. You'll feel better. It will have to go. And so Saul said to his attendants, find someone who plays well and bring him to me. And one of the servants, now we have nothing, we have no idea why he thought this, but watch. One of the attendants said, I've seen a son of Jesse who knows how to play the harp. He's a brave man and a warrior. He speaks well and is fine looking, and the Lord is with him. Now watch this, are you ready? I'm getting excited. Then Saul sent messengers to Jesse and said, send me your son David, where is he? He's with the sheep. He's doing his job. He's faithful to the task. Now, I spent a lot of unnecessary time researching who this servant was and how he knew this about David, and there is nothing to give any explanation, and this is the conclusion I came to. You need to know that someone sees you when no one is watching. Someone sees you when no one is watching. God sees you, but there are also people that see you. A man's gifting makes room for him. And somehow there was a servant that had seen David at various times. Somehow he knew that David was a master harpist. He knew that he was a powerful musician. Knew that he was a brave man. Maybe he was watching sheep next door when he saw David kill the the lion or the bear. I don't No, but I know that when no one else, when David had no reason to believe and no one else was singing his praise, someone was watching. When no one was watching, someone sees you. Your gifting, God will elevate. Your God, God will raise up your gifting. If you're doing what he's assigned you to do, here is a king. Here is a good speaker, a sharp-looking man, giftings that should elevate him. And there's not a word of complaint about his current assignment. And I'll suggest to you that you will never rise in your assignment until you can do your current assignment without complaint. And then war with Goliath and the Philistines. David was the son of Jesse, who was from Bethlehem, Jesse had eight sons, and in Saul's time he was old and well advanced in years. Jesse's three oldest sons followed Saul to war. The firstborn was Alive. The second was Abinadab. The third, Shama. David was the youngest. The three oldest followed Saul. The guy who's killed the sheep and the bear, who has worked hard, who's been recognized, who's already been in Saul's court. His brothers are going to war. And where is David? David went back to tend his father's sheep. Are you hearing me this morning? What do you find him doing faithfully, going back to his task, not trying to um, advance his own destiny, but waiting for what God will do and satisfied with his calling? So Jesse sends David to see how his brothers are doing. For 40 days, the Philistines came forward every morning and evening and took the stand, 40 days. Jesse said to his son David, "'Take this ephah of roasted grain "'and these 10 loaves of bread for your brothers "'and hurry to their camp. "'Take along these 10 cheeses "'to the commander of their unit.' See how your brothers are and bring back some assurance from them. They're with Saul and all the men of Israel in the Valley of Elah fighting against the Philistines. Your three brothers are in the battle. They're in the army. They're there facing the enemy. And what's your job? You get to carry cheese. I don't know how that looks to you. But here are your brothers with Spear, sword, and shield, and armor, and they're men. And all your dad will trust you to do is carry some cheese. You can view that as an insult if you want. You can say, I was designed for more. I was designed for greatness. But David does what he's assigned and carries the grain He is the first Uber Eats. (laughs) He's taking his food to the battle. So listen to me. If you want, please hear my heart. If you want to serve your generation, then learn how to serve. Do you know what the test is? You ready? The test for servanthood, I'm convinced this is true. Here's the test for servanthood. How do you know if you've mastered serving? It shows up when, in your reaction, when someone treats you like a servant. When you get treated like a servant, well, they treated me like a servant. Maybe you're beginning to learn how to serve. Because if you chafe at that, they just treat me like a slave around here. (laughs) Hallelujah. Your day of victory might be around the corner if you can learn how to serve. Because serving means you've learned how to be happy as a servant. Is there anyone in the house this morning? We have to learn how to serve. Then second, David served his generation. He served his generation. Every generation is unique. Right? So, when I was growing up and going to camp, I shared this with the staff. There was a song that was sung in every altar call when they would call for pastors and missionaries. It was sung in churches all over. Tim, you remember the song, we've talked about it, Jesus Use Me and Oh Lord Don't Refuse Me. I mean we sang it and sang it and sang it, Jesus Use Me. I was at a board meeting at New Life Center on Thursday and asked them if they'd ever heard the song and none of them had ever heard the song and those of you that would know who Helen Martin is, I said well it goes like this and I sang the song and they laughed and said Helen would have loved that song. (laughs) That would have been. Jesus used me. So I wanted to find a contemporary group to sing that so you can hear the song. It's a pretty cutting-edge group from 1981 called the Cathedrals Quartet.) <laughs> Dear Give it up for the cathedrals. All right, now, are you ready? Because I'm going to meddle a little bit. I don't know if you know, but that was a pretty raucous performance. Did you watch that bass player? And notice the expressions of the lead singer? Do you know that when quartets, oh, by the way, there's not a person in this room that would say, that is too contemporary for us. (laughs) And if that is too contemporary for you, make this your last Sunday. (laughs) Are you hearing me? But when they came out, when quartets began to sing, they were viewed as too contemporary for church worship. In even as far back as 20s, 30s, and 40s, there were many churches who refused to participate in the jazzy side of Southern gospel and refused to allow worldly Southern gospel musicians to ply their wares, One of the reasons why so many popular southern gospel groups of that era sang in schools and auditoriums and other secular venues is because some churches would not permit these jazzy singers to perform in church houses. (laughs) Oh, but that's, are you with me? Don't bail on me now. But that's the spiritual music. Can't we go back to that? In its day, it was cutting edge. Bill Gaither, in his History of Southern Gospel Music, admits that Hovey Lister, and I was going to play one of those because they're hilarious. Just go on and look up the Statesman, they're great. But Hovey Lister's approach was loud, fast, swingy, and pop. And he would do whatever it took to get the loudest applause and the biggest laugh. In fact, some conservative Christian radio stations broke the statesman's records on air to protest that worldly music. I hope you're hearing me this morning. I'm talking about serving your generation by the will of God. Um, th- the statesman had a bass singer, Big Chief Wetherington. Big Chief Wetherington. And they said... You can't watch that. Watch his legs. He looks just like Elvis. You have a critical spirit. Come on, is there anyone hearing me this morning? And to show you that generations change, I found a one hit wonder album cover. It's listed in the top 20 worst Christian album covers uh, of all time, and they were sweet ladies. And at the time, nobody thought bad, but I want you to see how much the culture changes. Let's get that album covered, Jesus Use Me. <laughs> I'm telling you what, that bouffant on the left is a three-gallon hairspray. <laughs> and if I brought them in this morning, you would wonder if it was a comedy show, right? Yeah. But... In its day, it wasn't unusual. Now hear me, I have no interest in trying to reach that generation. They're gone. We need to reach our generation. And every generation will complain about the contemporary methods that God is using to reach that generation. And I refuse to be that. I'm not going to rebuild the um, the archaic models of yesteryear. And we will weigh over the contemporary models to make sure they're biblical and sound. But I'm telling you, we have to reach our generation. Nobody's wearing a leisure suit today. No women have hair like you just saw. We can go on and on with that. The generations have changed. So if the generations have changed and we're going to reach our generation, our methods, our models, our ministries, our tools, our expression, our worship all has to change. And people say, well, I'm so frustrated because it sounds like a honky tonk I don't even know what one of those are, but what were you doing there in the first place? It sounds like this, that, or the other. They turn down the lights, and it's like a bar. I'm telling you, go ahead and ply your wares somewhere else because Berean Church is going to be multi-generational, multi-ethnic, and we will reach this generation for the cause of the king. One of my friends posted recently on Facebook, and I'm so sick of this, said in in, churches are wasting precious opportunities by not singing the old hymns. They had a message that is needed by young people today. Now I believe that there's a message they need. And I enjoy the old hymns. And we have a place for that in our classic service. I'm not against that. But if you're telling me that I have to take an old hymn and shove it down a 16-year-old's throat because they need to get the message, how about put the message in a container that they can receive? We're defending the capsule rather than improving the medicine. And we need to think about that. God has always raised up people in a generation to reach that generation. For Martin Luther, God's purpose was for him to turn the church from the false teachings generated by the corrupted Roman Catholic Church back to the teachings of the Bible. He started the Reformation and fulfilled God's purpose for his generation by not saying we're gonna defend yesterday, we're gonna find truth for today. When England was going through spiritual decay, John Wesley rose to the occasion and brought spiritual renewal through the Methodist movement. John Wesley fulfilled God's purpose for his generation. In the Hebrides Islands, a small group of islands off the coast of Scotland, in 1948, the churches were in a terrible state of decay. Young people were not interested in God, but seven young deacons began to pray and interceded for revival to come upon the land. For months they prayed in a barn. Even during winter they met in the barn, covered with blankets and prayed. At the same time, God used two elderly ladies, Peggy and Christine Smith, to pray for revival to come. One was 84. One was 82. Peggy was almost blind. Christine was bent over with arthritis. But God used them to fulfill his purpose through persevering prayers, and a powerful revival hit the Hebrides Island because two elderly ladies said, We want to serve our generation by the will of God. Because a group of young deacons said, We want to serve our generation by the will of God. God has a purpose for our generation. And it's our duty to discover what that is and fulfill God's purpose in this generation. Let's do that for the glory of God. Learn to serve and then learn to serve this generation. Now, I don't have time to preach this fully, but um, I do think we need to correct some of our hermeneutics when it comes to Old Testament scripture. David really marked serving his generation when he looked at a cowardly army who wouldn't face a giant and said, I will go. And that giant will be the same as that lion and that bear because he's coming against, not the armies of Israel, he's coming against the name of our God, and I will not allow that to stand. So we have a picture of this little 12 year old boy running down into the field and flinging up a stone that killed Goliath. That's not what happened. Do you know who he was? He was a a Benjamite, and he was a shepherd. And the Bible tells us that those left-handed Benjamites could throw a stone at a hair's breadth that they could knock birds out of the sky. Do you know what David was doing on all those long nights, keeping his father's sheep? He was practicing his craft. He was practicing his throwing of stones. Where? He would have no idea if and when that would ever be needed, but he was going to hone his craft. And historians tell us that when David walked into that valley, the problem was that Goliath brought a sword to a slingshot fight. When that stone left that sling, the velocity that hit Goliath would have been the same as being shot in the head with a 45 caliber revolver. He knocked him to the ground, not as a little boy with a miracle, but as a servant of God who was faithful to the task, who had honed his craft and was willing to stand up and make his mark for the kingdom. I will serve my generation and Goliath will not rule over us. Is anyone hearing me. The devil will not have his way. We will not live in bondage. We will not live in defeat. That bear and that lion that died prepared me for this moment and I will bury Goliath and cut off his head and we will have a new day in Israel. He served his generation. He served his generation. You have to learn to serve and then you need to learn to serve your generation. It was a new day in Israel. David ran, stood over Goliath, took the Philistine's sword, drew it from the scabbard. After he killed him, he cut off his head with a sword. When the Philistines saw that their hero was dead, they turned and ran. Then the men of Israel and Judah surged forward with a shout and pursued the Philistines to the entrance of Gath and the gates of Ekron. Their dead were strewn all over the road to Gath and Ekron. When the Israelites returned from chasing the Philistines, they plundered their camp. What made the difference? One young man who was willing to give his skill set to God who said, not only will I serve my family, I will serve my generation. And this is not gonna happen on my watch. How was David as a king? How did he serve his generation? After Saul's death, David was anointed as king over Judah. He unified Israel after a period of conflict and negotiation. He captured the Jebusite stronghold of Jerusalem and made it the city of David. Israel expanded its borders and became a powerful kingdom in the region. And God made a covenant with David promising that his dynasty would endure forever, ultimately leading to the coming of the Messiah. He was a man that not only served his generation but made a mark for generations to come. Serving our generation doesn't mean we hold the fort and defend archaic and bygone methods. It means we craft a means of serving this generation. Last, David served his generation by the will of God. He learned to serve, he learned to serve his generation, and he learned to do it by the will of God. The legacy of the Psalms, God was looking for David, a man after his own heart. He's described in Acts 13, this way. After removing Saul, he made David their king. He testified concerning him, I found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. What do we know about David? Not only did he practice his craft of slinging the stone, but he's called the great psalmist of Israel. What do you think was happening out there on those lone? empty hillsides watching those sheep. He was giving thanks to God. I imagine he was laying on his back on a hillside as he looked up into the sky and said, the heavens declare the glory of God. The firmament shows his handiwork. When he said, give all the songs about praise and worship and joy, the songs of of despair and turmoil were written by the great worshiper that God had called. How do you know he was a man after God's own heart because you look at his worship. He was a worshiper, and we celebrate those today. He was a man after God's own heart. We all know that David made mistakes, right? Here's what the mark of David was in serving the will of God. He was a man who was willing to repent You remember that awful story. On a day when kings go to war, David is up on the rooftop and he looks over onto another rooftop, cool of the evening and sees a woman taking a bath and he wants her, he calls for her, she's brought to him and they have an illicit relationship. She becomes pregnant and so David wants to cover it up And he calls Uriah back from battle and wants him to spend time with his wife. And Uriah, being the man of character that he was, refused to do it and sat on the porch, the doorstep and said, I will not enjoy relationships with my wife while my colleagues and friends are in battle. I should be out where they are. And so he was released. And so then David comes up with another plan and says, this is what we're gonna do. You're gonna go into battle. And when you go into battle, I want to put uh, Uriah on the front line. And when the battle gets hot, you'll draw back so that Uriah will be killed. And then when Uriah is killed, David takes her as his wife. And God lifted his hand. And the child dies as judgment for their sin. Yeah, that's a tangled web. How could you use him as an example? Because I want you to listen to what he wrote in Psalm 53. Have mercy on us, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you are proved right when you speak and justified when you judge. Cleanse me with hyssop, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Blot out my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of thy salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. You do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O oh God, you will not despise. He didn't see God as a vindictive, hateful God that was gonna bring him to an end. Do you know what he saw when he pursued the heart of God? Do you know what he saw? After God's own heart, he saw a God that blots out our iniquities that forgives our sin, that isn't looking for ritualistic performance, but a heart that melts before him. God, I'm yours. I've sinned against you. I have failed you. And here's what the Bible tells us after that. And I believe that David prayed that. I believe that Bathsheba prayed it. Here's why I believe it. Or Proverbs 31, the virtuous woman was written by Solomon about his mother. And the only mother he knew was Bathsheba after Psalm 31 or Psalm 53, was the only Bathsheba he knew. And the Bible tells us that Bathsheba conceived again, and the Bible then says that God loved the child. How could God love the offspring of this horrible union except that they had repented and been cleansed and forgiven and restored, and the fruit of that relationship was blessed? That's who David saw a God who forgives, a God who does cleanse, a God who does make new. I'm saying to you that he was a man hungry for the heart of God and in that, in an Old Testament era without new life in Christ to enable us to live in the way we can live today, he was quick to repent and throw himself on the mercy of God. That's how he served his generation by the will of God. He got close to his father and he was willing to repent. My prayer is that we together would have a determination to serve the will of God and to serve our generation. And to do that, church, you have to be serving somewhere. <laughs> And if you're gonna serve somewhere, you have to watch the sheep and carry cheese when everybody else is getting the glory of battle. You're gonna be overlooked and ignored while everyone else gets an opportunity to candidate for being the king, I mean, for being the next king. And it won't matter to you because you don't evaluate service by its human elevation but whether it carries the favor of God. And David was willing to serve. Out of that servant's heart, he learned to serve his generation and was ready when God called his name. And you can't serve your generation if you don't do it by the will of God. Are you chasing after him? And as you chase after him, are you willing to repent and let him cleanse you? May it be said of all of us in this community, And maybe for you today, it's a wake-up call. God, count on me. I am enlisting to serve my generation by the will of God. And if that means I carry cheese or I kill Goliath, I'll do what you give me to do. Anyone hearing me this morning? Could we stand together and let God settle into our spirits and talk to us about how we can faithfully follow after him. Jesus, we recognize this morning <laughs> that it's our nature to make it all about us. Help us make it all about you. And God, would you give us creativity, revelation, commitment to not simply float along with the tide, but that we would learn to serve that we would learn to serve our generation and that we would do it by the will of God. Let that be said of all of us, I ask, in Jesus' name. And everyone in agreement said, amen, amen. amen. If you love the Lord, let me hear your hands this morning. If you wanna be happy in Jesus, find a place to serve and do it to the glory of God, amen. God bless you, greet someone and encourage them this morning.